we enter into phase two of this whole issue. What is the response of the church authorities? What is the response of the Pharisees who safeguarded the morals of the populace, of the people, who taught them the right way to live and the wrong way to avoid? What was their response here? Well, the term legalism comes to mind, which is the idea of the petty adherence to small rules, a kind of jobs worth approach that we've seen many times where someone is so enamoured by the pettiness of the tininess of the small details. Those kind of people have been in existence since the pool of Bethesda, even to the present day. The people who will pick you up over the smallest detail and miss the most important things. I'm reminded of things at lockdown where people would come and movie one from a park bench even though there was nobody around for hundreds and hundreds of yards because the rules said you mustn't sit down or you must be continually exercising. There's a hundred thousand people like that who would claim that their job's not worth much if they can't do the petty little things. It's the only opportunity that they have to lord it over the rest of us because their lack of common sense, their lack of fellow feeling, their lack of understanding of other human beings and the, the way in which would function is secondary to their desire to show some dominant authority, even if it means observing small and petty rules in order to foster their own position. Anyway, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man, by Jews here, I mean, they're all Jews, you might say. So we're talking really about Pharisees, the Jews being those people who are the religious Jews, those people who are very strongly um, of an extreme religious fervour, those kind of Jews. And we often see people in religious situations who are the, the religious extremists of their day. The people who are the the people who will go to the nth degree and and Im, impose the smallest, tiniest rules, no matter what the cost might be, because it is the rule, and because I want to show that I'm adhering to the rules, which is a form of hypocrisy. Kind of virtue signalling is another word for hypocrisy, and that's what they're doing here. So the Jews said to this man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. So this great miracle occurs before their very eyes. A man who they probably knew from 38 years being there, and instead of being awestruck in wonder about the marvellousness of healing coming to someone who was so desperately waiting to be healed for such a long time, instead of being delighted at the prospect of the relief of human suffering, of kindness and of mercy being extended to someone in a pitiable state, instead of being delighted by that, they're taken up with the idea that this man is carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and that breaks the rule. That's more important to them than the greater waitings of mercy. Elsewhere, Jesus said that to have neglected 
the greater things because you pick up the you tithe the mint and the common you tithe even the small herbs at the bottom of your garden you do everything to the nth degree but you've neglected the weightier, ma weightier matters of mercy love kindness patience with others all of that's been lost to you because you're concentrating on the irrelevant tiny unimportant details so it is the sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat it's not really important here it seems to me about the way in which the pharisees let's call them pharisees john calls them the jews they have accumulated law upon law and fine splitting of the laws this is something that you find is done by the religious orthodox the people who are the most zealous the people who are the most committed you find it in many religions around the world you find it in islam you find it in in other religions too where to show your purity and adherence to your religion you divide the law to its finest detail and show that you are um, committed to the smallest part of it because that's how you show your religious nature and your religious fervor that of course is a complete mistake because you show your religious fervor by being committed to the values and the virtues of the religion to um, do justice to love mercy to walk humbly with your god so to tithe the mint and the cumin the herbs upon your garden to do everything to the smallest finest degree is not a sign of adherence to god but the weightier principles of to do justice to love mercy to walk humbly those are the ways which you really show your adherence to god not the fine detail that doesn't give you any religious authority over anybody else because you know the law better and one of the problems which the jews had was to take something like the ten commandments and then separate them out and then add up all the tiny little laws that they could and formulate I forget how many 969 laws or whoever whatever laws they were and made sure that every single one was obeyed to the fullest that is how they saw their religious duty and their commitment to god and yet they missed out the very central thing we still find that today it's a lesson for us today that these same people and this same attitude are with us today and we might easily fall into that approach too if we're not careful he replied the man who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk as if the answer to that is that there's a contrast here there's the man who made me well that act of goodness that act of kindness that act of mercy transcends the pettiness of petty rule observances he therefore carries more authority and weight than you do that's what is really being said here the man who made me well it's not my choice in some way he's probably doing the the eve thing um, the adam and eve thing where adam 
uh, blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent, and of course the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. There's a bit of that here, the man blaming Jesus. Well, it was him who told me to do it, but I think there's more to it than that. There's the idea that this man has more authority than you do, because he told me what to do, and if he can cure me like that, then he has the right attitude, and you don't. So, they asked him, so who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? So, it's a bit like, well, where is this serpent in the God kind of thing? And uh, where is Eve? Why, you know, and he didn't know who he was. He didn't know it was Jesus. He didn't know that he was well known amongst the people of the crowd. They didn't know about his reputation at this time. He didn't know. He looked around. He couldn't see him. Not surprising, considering the effect that it must have had because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. The crowd that was there. There must have been a crowd. There must have been a lot of people saying, please cure me. There must have been a lot of cries of curing me, cure me. If you've cured him, you can cure me too. Help save me. There's no record of Jesus curing everybody at that, um, that uh, pool. And that also is a question that possibly needs to be asked as to why wouldn't Jesus pick out one person and not others? And that's difficult for us to answer because you might think that kindness and generosity should extend to all. And yet it seems that maybe there's only one person who was truly receptive to Jesus and to faith in Jesus with a simplicity and an openness. Maybe that's what's explained by this question, do you want to get well? What kind of attitude do you have towards me? What kind of response will you make? Whereas other people are concerned purely about their own benefit, here's someone who I think had maybe more respect to show to Jesus than simply a demand that I be made better. And I think that also indicates an attitude for us too, that any relationship that we have, any benefit that we have from Jesus flows from our respect for him. Sir, rabbi, teacher. Respect to Jesus shows a relationship to Jesus which is submissive to him. And a relationship which demands things, show me a sign, do this, do that, is not met by the same kind of response as those which come to him humbly walking humbly with your God, as we've said earlier on. So, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. And, in other words, this is not a temporary um, cure. You're still well. It's not something like, you know, it's a passing thing. You're well again. And notice this very important follow-up. The important follow-up here is stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now that is something we can't skip over. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Some people have taken this to mean that sickness, illness is caused by sin. And that was a very common attitude in that day that people were taught that um, if they were ill, 
If they were sick, it was because they'd sinned in some respect or thought badly in some others. It's a still very common view. It's the, it's the view of Science, Health and Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. And you have to look out for Christian scientists who also believe this same kind of thing. Jesus disproves this over and over again and has pointed out, and we'll come across it later, that when, for example, a man was born blind, it wasn't due to the sin of him or to his parents, but rather it was um, something that we need to take account of, that these things happen in the world, in a fallen world such as we're in. But nevertheless, Jesus places a moral command on this man as a consequence of his healing. And we see this time and time again throughout the ministry of Jesus, that I have done something for you. Now, as a consequence, go and live a proper life. The woman at the well, you know, living water. The woman stoned in adultery. The, um, the idea that she should go and sin no more. Many of the things which Jesus speaks of to people, when he heals them and confronts them, there is always the same message which is tied up to everything that he does, as if the signs themselves are a sign of this very message. Now go and live a life and do not sin any further. In other words, improve your life and put yourself right with God and live your life in such a way that it is pleasing to God and not hurtful to God. That needs to be the outcome, I suppose, of all the signs and all the wonders that we would ever see. Anything that leaves us awestruck about the nature of God should have one positive conclusion in our lives, and that is that we so respond that we are with gratitude and with thankfulness that we try to live a life which is more pleasing to God, encompassed by that phrase, go and don't sin anymore. Thank you.